spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This holiday is going to be epic. It's episode 345 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. No, I didn't misspeak because I am talking about epics this week and the return of Pennyworth. That's right. Season two is going to begin on Sunday, December the 13th. And it's almost going to be kind of a month long Pennyworth celebration here on the podcast. Going to start this week with developer and writer Bruno Heller. You remember him from Gotham, of course, coming back for another season of Pennyworth. What better way to dive in and get you ready for the premiere than talk to the guy that created the show. He's going to give us all kinds of great insights. Wait till you hear what he has to say. There's also a couple of big comics to talk about this week. Talk about Batman Catwoman from DC. Also, King in Black from Marvel. Plus, another great sponsor for the show, Shudder is back. That's right. You want to get your scares for this holiday? I'll tell you how you can do that here coming up. But first, it's time to do some sleuthing. My spoiler-free review of Hulu's The Hardy Boys. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Clarissa Tebow from Marvel's Runaways, and you're listening to the Down and Dirty Podcast. Another pair of classic characters is getting their own series on Hulu. It's time for my spoiler-free review of Hulu's The Hardy Boys. There is one spoiler that I'm going to have to share with you, though, when I do this review, and it'll be early on when I talk about what the show is at, what's actually going on in the show. Of course, you've got Frank and Joe Hardy, who are the brothers, and they are moving to Bridgeport, with their dad after, and here's the only spoiler I'm going to give you, the death of their mother. Now, obviously, I don't think that this is a spoiler. Obviously, you feel like the death of their mother is under suspicious circumstances, right? Because they kind of tease that in the trailer anyway, and it just seems like that that's going to be the basis for this series, right? For this first season, which is 13 episodes, by the way, which is longer than a lot of other shows are getting nowadays. Now... <clears throat> Here's the deal. I got to say that I wanted to love this, but I just couldn't find myself getting into it as much as I really wanted to. And and that was well and that kind of frustrated me. So maybe I oversold it to myself before I actually started watching it because you know there were plenty of times where I was I was drifting off while I was watching and I just wasn't as locked in as I wanted to be, and early on, some of the dialogue's kind of corny, and stuff just seems, there was almost parts of the show that almost felt like they were unfinished, but yet we were presented with the finished product, so I'm not sure exactly what was going on there, I mean, effects-wise, and there's not many effects, but but it wasn't really, it didn't seem right to me, it seemed off, and I don't know, just something about it. And some of the characters just seem kind of thrown in early on, and then all of a sudden they become more important as the episodes go on. And, and it just seemed very thrown together in the beginning. So I think that that was one of the reasons I had a hard time really getting locked in. You hear the term binge-worthy get thrown around a lot about streaming shows. And to me, that means you know a show that hooks you right away and that you want to just keep going for. I did not feel that way. 
when I was watching the Hardy Boys. And and here's the thing. This this is clearly not set in like a modern time period, right? So, you know, it's like they kind of go for that nostalgia, but also kind of don't go for the nostalgia at the same time. It's like they keep dipping their toe in the water trying to decide if it's the right temperature to go in, and then they just don't actually dive in. And I'm not saying that every show that's not set in modern times has to include all this nostalgia, but you're either going to do it or you're not. And and they really don't really lean into it, but they kind of it's almost like they act like they're going to and then they don't. And nobody's ever really going to do it as well as Stranger Things did it, so you can't really hold them to that bar. But at the same time, I was looking for something more than what I was actually getting. And that was the thing about this this whole show. I'm looking for something more than I'm actually getting. And that doesn't mean there aren't solid individual performances, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not going to say that there isn't. Like Alexander Elliott... And Rowan Campbell actually do a really good job as Joe and Frank Hardy, respectively. I like the age gap between the brothers, right? So they're not as close in age as you might as you might find in the Hardy Boys book series. So there, there's a little bit of an age gap there, and there's a big brother, a little brother dynamic there that that really works, especially early on. And they don't get along super well early on either. And I think that 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 actually worked for me. I was like, okay, so this is your this is part of what's going to be your different take is that they're not just the best buddies of brothers, right? They don't they're not there's not like this major connection between the two of them early on and they they almost had to earn it. And I did I appreciated that a lot. I will say also that Laura Hardy the mother from what we do see of her early on they really make you like her. I mean, they really, really do sell that a lot, especially in the first episode. So when something happens to her, obviously, that they made that matter in a short amount of time. So all the focus that they had on the mother early on, I think actually did really pay off. The problem was was the everything in between sort of thing. And their, fa- their father, Fenton, is is very good. As well, and he he's a character that actually I I could have I could have actually seen more of. I actually think that J- I'm a James Tupper fan anyway, but that that's a character I think they could have utilized a little bit more. Maybe part of my problem is is that maybe I'm just not in the age group for this. And you know, you see the trailer and you say, oh well, is this kind of going to be like Riverdale? Are we going to kind of get Stranger Things here? And, and I didn't think where I was going to get Stranger Things. I mean, there's some supernatural elements involved here, but, but you know, not a ton. So I, I certainly wasn't expecting that. I actually thought it would be more tame than Riverdale, and it, it absolutely is more tame than Riverdale. But they what the show failed to do for me is sell me early. Get me hooked early. This show just did not do that. Especially like after the first episode. That's when you really want to be like, I have to keep watching. But I kind of felt myself drifting into saying, well, you know, I could catch the next one later. And and that is not, not necessarily the best thing. But again, maybe this is one of those things where this just misses me in my age range. I don't think it does, but maybe it does. And just the fact that I get thrown all of these characters early on and you're trying to make a connection there 
that that's just not there. And how could it be there early on, right? Especially when you're meeting somebody for the first time and you don't feel that instant connection between the two characters either. That's the other thing is that you're like, okay, so they're getting like a little group together here, but I'm not feeling the connections between these characters as you're throwing them at me, right? And even how they meet is a little awkward at times too. So I think a lot of this could have been set up a lot better early on. And it's like they think they have a hook that they don't have, at least not for me anyway. That doesn't mean that you won't you won't dig it. I'm not saying that, that this is a show that nobody should watch. It's not bad, okay? It's not a bad show. I just expected more. Maybe that's on me, but I thought that this show was going to be more than it actually was. And there's also like a, okay, so you, you automatically give me one mystery and then you're going to try and mix another one in as well. And I'm not sure that was completely necessary, right? Like you, you give, you spend all this time getting me invested in the mother, you kill her and that's supposed to be your mystery, right? Yet there's something else going on here. And then you can't help but be like, oh, well, is this going to be connected or is it not? And I won't tell you if it is, I'm not going to spoil that for you. But again, you sold me on something and then you presented me with something else that I'm not sure you actually needed to be there. So I'm I'm about 50-50 on this Hardy Boys series from Hulu. I mean, will I finish it? Probably. Well, am I in a hurry to get me fini- to, to finish it? Yeah, I don't think I'm going to, to be in a huge hurry to finish it. So I'll have to see what you guys think of the Hardy Boys from Hulu. But for me, I wished I could have liked it a lot more. Than I actually did. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of The Hardy Boys. Up next, we'll talk about another series. Pennyworth's getting a second season, and what better way to start our chat about it than with developer and writer Bruno Heller. We'll talk to him next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Robin Wood Taylor from Gotham, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. London is at war, and season two of Pennyworth is going to be coming on December the 13th. That's a Sunday on Epics at 9 p.m. Eastern. And I couldn't wait to share with you my interviews with the cast. And this week, actually, developer and writer of the series, Bruno Heller, I sat down with him to talk about the second season. We dive into some season one stuff as well. So here it is, my chat with Bruno Heller about season two of Pennyworth. Now, we actually have seen, we've seen Alfred go through a lot in Mm. season one already. How much would you say he's grown in the gap between season one and season two? Grown. I think in that gap, he's kind of festered more than grown, I think. I mean, that's, there's the problem is I, I think it's difficult to effectively kill your, kill your dad and realize that that's a growing experience. So it's kind of tortured him. I think it's the seeds of growth are there. If I was his psychiatrist, I'd say, like, first you have to come to grips with what you've done, and and then he'll be able to to grow out of that. It certainly made him more determined and, and harder. He's a harder, tougher guy. He's allowed the the soldier in him to to come out to protect him. I guess you'd say. How does that go into his family dynamics as well? Because we don't really get to see the aftermath of that in season one with his mom. So I'm guessing we'll probably deal with that in season two a little bit. We know how close yeah. Alfie is with Mama. So how's that going to work out? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Because however much she understands 
what he had to do and why he had to do it, there's the fact. And everyone she knows knows that her son killed her husband. And like a lot of old couples, she's beca she became dependent on that relationship. So this season is definitely a season of growth for her, learning to live as a, as a woman on her own, recalibrating her relationship with her son. You know, as you know, a lot of a lot of widows actually find a, a new lease of life. It can be a good thing, um, and in many ways, it is a good thing for her. She can finally be her own person, but she still harbors a, a resentment to her son, or more like the men folk in her life. You know, who get involved in this stuff. Things looked bad at the end of last season for the Raven Society, like really bad. But I mean, fast forward to season two, they're front and center in this war now as we met as lord harwood mentioned at the end of season one actually so would you say mm -hmm. that it's strength in numbers here or is it something else that kind of makes them so dangerous this season i think uh what's that yates quote about the you know the best lack of conviction the, and the the worst are filled with fiery energy um not to draw any analogies with with any current situation but you will often find that you know extremists of of whatever kind people who are full of rage and, and anger and, and a sense of mission can overpower larger numbers, especially when those larger numbers are people who just want a quiet life, who, who treasure the, the liberal virtues of tolerance and, and uh, you know, civilized discourse. Plus the Ravens have the, the military with them because those sort of guys, guys in boots are always likely to, to curry the favor of, people with guns like the army an army wants to be used to some degree mm -hmm. and that's what the raven society is offering them so it's a coalition between the raven union and and the military that that created that situation now with war comes politics and i know that this is a very much character-driven show in pennyworth and that's one of the things I've, I've really liked about it about how much will politics and even propaganda maybe play a role in this upcoming season i guess it, it's politics at the point where it turns in into conflict um yeah war is politics by other means one of the things we we haven't gotten into too deeply is you know the exact agenda of the raven union they're kind of they're the Nazis, uh, and to that degree, they kind of fulfill that function without having to say what they do. Certainly, yes, the, the internal politics of, of, of war, of when to make peace, of who is winning and who is losing, and, and how much of that is about perception is absolutely a part of it. But more, it's about territory, it's about winning ground, rather than the, the sort of more subtle shenanigans of politics. Now, without spoiling anything, one character that really stood out to me as I started watching season two was Bette. So how much can you tell us about what her upcoming story is for this season? Bette is, is someone who, as scary and as belligerent as she is, really what she needs is, is someone to love and someone to look after. And she looks for those people in all the wrong places. And this season, she does find someone to love and look after. And, uh, you know, that's a, a, a path of true love that is not destined to run smoothly. But I've always thought of her as a, as a warm and loving character, despite all her faults. And we're going to see some of that side of her this year. Interesting, interesting. Now, the dynamic between Thomas and Martha was one of my favorite things about last season. How important was it for you to not just 
kind of portray them as that storybook romance, but to also have those challenges now to even carry over into this season. Oh, it was very important. I mean, especially for you know for the canonical stuff. The, the these these two are the parents of of Bruce Wayne, and Bruce Wayne is is such a conflicted, strange character that uh, I kind of felt that his parents must have been a an odd couple a couple that you wouldn't think would work together a couple that brought two very distinct personalities to create that personality of of Bruce Wayne i also think that martha is a very assertive willful impulsive iron-willed woman and that has been a tough role for a long time and but i think that kind of rebelliousness that kind of unwillingness to accept the status quo um, is part of the Batman mystique. And it, it seemed right that, you know, Batman's mother would have to be a real piece of work to create a man like that. But on the other hand, the father, you know, obviously a huge influence. And anyway, the two of them are kind of both sides of the Batman personality. Dad is is very much the analytical detective police guy. She is is much more the the vigilante. Um, that she's the one that would think of putting on a mask and a cape and leaping from rooftops onto evildoers. Dad would would call the police, and and the you know the the challenge here is is to you know <laughs> keep the, there's a ways to go before they create. Um, Bruce, so uh, you know, keeping that that relationship feisty. Quickly, Bruno, before I let you go, what's a new character you're excited for people to see this season? Lucius Fox is is the character I'm excited for people to see. Well, there's, there's lots of characters, but that's the one they will know in advance if 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 they follow the Batman story. We've got a wonderful actor named of Simon Manyondo in the role. You're going to see the origins of of that great Hall of Fame DC character. Excellent. Bruno, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. Pleasure to talk to you. And don't forget to watch season two of Pennyworth when it premieres Sunday, December 13th at 9 p.m. on Epics. This week, the Down and Nerdy podcast is brought to you by Shudder, where you can add a little bit more sleigh to your holiday if you want to. I mean, Shudder is the premier streaming service for horror, thriller, and supernatural content. They're just spooky 24-7 365 doesn't have to be Halloween for Shudder to be spooky. And one of the things I love is how these things are categorized and how it's you can get to write what you want to get to right away. Like if you're looking for maybe some unhappy holidays, that's actually one of the categories on Shudder. If you want a little bit more horror to your Christmas, there, there there's something like Better Watch Out, which is almost like a like a twisted take on Home Alone for lack of a better way of putting it. I mean, Dakry Montgomery's in it, Patrick Warburton, Virginia Madsen in there as well. I mean, if you're looking for something a little bit more traditional, though, and you loved Aya Cash in The Boys, you've also got Scare Me, which is a Shutter original, and you can watch on your iPhone, your Apple TV, your Fire TV, Chromecast, Roku, whatever you stream on, you can probably find Shutter, And you can start streaming for $5.99 a month or $56.99 
per year. You can get started streaming the best horror, thriller, and supernatural content. Shudder's expertly curated collection includes titles like the acclaimed Tigers Are Not Afraid, One Cut of the Dead, Revenge, and the Creepshow TV series produced by Greg Nicotero and based on the famous films by George Romero. You can try Shudder 30 days for free. Go to Shudder.com and use promo code DNPOD. That's Shudder, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, promo code D-N-P-O-D. Get 30 days free. I mean, what a wonderful gift than to give the gift of a good scare from Shudder. Once again, thanks to Bruno Heller for joining me this week to talk about Season 2 of Pennyworth. Up next... Going to dive into a couple of really big comics. It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's great to have two books that I've been waiting to talk about all week. But you know what? Whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. Let's start with Batman Catwoman, the book that we've been waiting seems like forever for. The first issue from DC's Black Label, written by Tom King, Clay Mann doing an amazing job on the art once again. Tamara Mori on the colors and Clayton Cowles on the letters going to kind of tiptoe into spoiler territory here since the book's been out for a little bit now. So just keep that in mind as this review goes on and there's a lot going on in this story. The relationship between Bruce and Selena isn't even the main focus of the story. I don't think anyway, there's actually a present and a future element to this story and it kind of goes back and forth as the, as the book unfolds. Now in the present, I, I call it the present Anyway, we have Batman and Catwoman kind of looking for a missing teenage boy that's connected to someone Bruce knows quite well from his past. I'm not going to spoil everything, so you're going to have to find that one out for yourself if you haven't read it yet. Now, there are a few very interesting run-ins during this search that really help to sort of layer the story, and it actually plays into the future storyline as well. And in this future storyline, we see an older Selina actually going to see an old friend. This is one of those times where if you could see me using air quotes, friend is in air quotes. And this and and you'll understand why once you once you see who it is. Now, she kind of breaks some pretty big news to him and then we actually find out who she's there to see and it's kind of a wow moment for a couple of different reasons. Now, the other big thing that happens is a Batman villain that you're very familiar with from the screen, finds their way to the page, finally. And it's one of those villains that you, that I really want to say who it is, but I feel like, again, if you haven't read the book, you probably have, but if you haven't yet and you've been waiting, I don't want to be the one that blows the surprise for you unless you follow Tom King on social media because he's posted a picture of the art a couple of times. But I, I'm, I'm not going to be the one that spoils it for you, but but it's gives it's there's a lot of excitement surrounding this character in this story, and I think it's, it's going to be really, really cool as the issues unfold. As I said in the beginning, the art is great, but Clay, but it's Clay Man. So, I mean, that's kind of to be expected. I don't mean to brush it off like that either, but, you know, when somebody's really good, you just sort of kind of come to expect that their art is going to be amazing. And, and that is one of the things that that really helps this story along, especially in the couple of big reveals that are in this, if the art's not good, the book's not going to really resonate. Especially since, I mean, there's a lot of story here and it's it's not hard to follow, but it does lay a lot of groundwork as well. It, I will say that the story itself doesn't really find its footing until closer to the end. 
it, it was it was an enjoyable read, but at the same time, when, once you get closer to the end, you go, okay, that's why we were doing that in the beginning. Okay, that makes sense. So there was a lot of setup in the beginning to me, and then it does pay off in the end. So if you're being a little impatient in the beginning of this book, just wait, it'll pay off. Now, some motives still aren't quite clear, but it's going to be interesting to see which timeline actually picks up and is more important in the next issue, which I cannot wait to read another great story from Tom King, Batman Catwoman number one from DC's Black Label. It was a lot to choose from from Marvel this week. I decided I had to go with King and Black number one and written by Don Cates, Ryan Stegman doing the pencils, J.P. Mayer on the inks, Frank Martin on colors, and Clayton Cowles once again on the letters. So, Again, I'm going to do maybe a little bit of spoilers here, but not a ton. And no, I'm not going to reveal the big, the big, big moments in this issue if you've read it already. So I'm just going to say this book is pure insanity from start to finish. I mean, it it doesn't start slow. The middle's not slow. The end's not. It is a nonstop just barrage. And I don't know exactly how else to describe it, but as I dive in here, You've got Eddie Brock, who's got a lot of guilt about releasing Null, and that comes from absolute carnage, so don't at me with spoilers on that. Now, and he wants to protect his son, and that's a relationship that's really grown on me as the as these issues have progressed, and I think it's really going to pay off in this storyline at some point. Now, while he does that, the Avengers kind of prepare for the arrival of Null's army. And it's there, there's this sense that it's just kind of inevitable, right? Like, we're not going to be able to stop this invasion. We're just going to see how much we can contain it before it's too late sort of thing. Now, what makes this a little more difficult is that there's already a limited number of things that can actually kill these dragons, as they call them, that Null's bringing in, and that can even combat Null in the first place. So you kind of kind of handpick which heroes you can even use and be effective with. And they're waiting on one pretty significant one that hasn't shown up yet. And that definitely plays a big role in this. Now, it is all hands on deck, but they're really overwhelmed. I mean, there there is a strength in numbers at some point to any battle, right? Now, once Null does arrive, though, he kind of seems unstoppable. That's the sense you get as a reader is that this character... And you say that, and in comics, you're like, all right, well, it's always going to work out, right? Because it's comics. Well, the 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 team of, of, of Kate's and company here does a good job of making you think, I don't know how they're going to stop this dude. So he also does something, though, Null does, that affects the entire planet, which is really unbelievable. When this happens, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And it makes you wonder, okay... How is this going to affect some someone that the Avengers really need to be there? How is that going to affect that possibility? So that's the best tease I can give you without actually spoiling what he does. Once Eddie and Null finally do face off, though, we quickly learn what Null really wants. It's one of those things you might kind of see it coming, but it's Brock's reaction to me that makes those panels so great. And what that means for Eddie and what's happening with, with the Avengers is a huge question mark that's left at the end of this issue. Now, there's so much constantly happening here that the art is a real whirlwind. And I mean that as a compliment. Like, it's hard to keep up with all of the moving parts of this issue, and it does it quite well. And selling those reactions, you know, Donny Cates can write the best words possible, but if you can't sell that, 
with the art, then it's meaningless. So Stegman and Martin and, and Mayer do a great job at doing that for sure. Now, they, I mean, just accenting those big moments was such a big deal to me and really made them stand out. It also helps bring out the raw emotions, though, in this too, which to me is the real core of this issue. It's not necessarily the battles, not necessarily what's happening around them. It's that raw emotion that comes from not just Eddie Brock, but a couple of members of the Avengers team as well that really, really made this story enjoyable for me. And big event arcs are hit or miss from Marvel. This one, to me, I feel like is going to make a huge impact going forward and a great first statement for Kim, King and Black, number one, as far as I'm concerned. Got to get the next issue of this one as well. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. A big return highlights nerd news. We'll talk about it next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, listeners, this is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil. I play Nobu, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. The theatrical window has been smashed. It's time for nerd news. And I'll be honest, I was going to lead this off with a completely different story. And then Warner Brothers Pictures said, no, 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 no. Hold our popcorn. We've got this. Because Warner Brothers has announced, Warner Media announced, that all of their planned 2021 movie releases will have a dual release on both HBO Max and theatrical in the U.S. And that means 17, yes, count them, 17 movies are going to be a part of this release model that they used for Wonder Woman 1984, which is going to be coming out on Christmas Day. Now, I'm not going to give you all 17, but here's a quick list of the highlights of one of some of them. You've got the Tom and Jerry movie, Godzilla vs. Kong, Mortal Kombat, the Conjuring, the, the new Conjuring movie. You've got The Suicide Squad. You've got Dune, King Richard, Matrix 4. That's just, uh, just a few of them. And this is gigantic. Yes, they will be in 4K and HDR on supported devices. And after one month, that's the, you're only going to get one month to stream these movies on HBO Max. Then they're going to leave HBO Max and the theatrical run will continue throughout the remainder of its theatrical, normal theatrical window. But this is basically Warner Brothers saying that there is no more theatrical window. And this is also, they say it's going to be a temporary thing because of the pandemic. And I, first of all, before I even get into whether or not this is a good thing, Okay, and I think you know where I'm going with this anyway. I have to applaud Warner Brothers. Whether you like this decision or not, you have to applaud them for getting out in front of this and saying, this is what we're doing. Okay, this is absolutely what we're doing for the next year because we don't know. Because I have actually, and I have criticized Warner Brothers on this podcast numerous times for constantly pushing release dates. And it's not just Warner Brothers. There's other, there's other studios that have done this too. So it's not exclusive to Warner Brothers. But part of it was my frustration with Wonder Woman 1984. You keep moving these dates, thinking things in this pandemic are going to be better in a couple of months, and then they're not. You have to move it again. With And movie theaters are closed all over the place. And you, all you're doing is keeping that uncertainty and all of a sudden, you've got a movie that's been done for like two years 
and you're and you're still not putting it out because you don't feel like you're going to make enough money off of it. So they just decided, you know what? Forget it. We are just going to go ahead and do this for the next year and see what happens. Now, I I think that this is a great thing and I think that this is the way of the future. I never want to see anybody lose their job, lose their livelihood, anything like that. Obviously, this will change movie consumption I think in the long term, I don't think this is just going to be a one-year thing. And maybe what we're going to see is less of like the major major movie theater chains and more smaller movie theaters that give you more of a unique experience, like the ones that offer like a more of a full menu for food or something like that. Maybe they give you a little something extra in the way of of how you get to watch this movie or in the ways of comforts, things like that. Uh, more of a, I hate the term boutique, but that is kind of the best way that I can really describe it, like a specialized theater experience, because I think there are still people that are going to want to see movies on the big screen. Now, not every movie necessarily, but I think there are some movies that you would say to yourself, even if you're not a big movie-going person, you'd say, you know, it'd be good to see that on the big screen. And I think that you know, I would certainly still go to a movie theater once it's, you know, once it's safe to do so and everything's kind of back to normal. I would still want to go to the theater. But especially for somebody like me, and it's not just me, okay? There are other people like me in this world that has young children that I can't bring them to the movie theater. There are times where I'd like to. I could bring my six-year-old, and he'd be okay. Can't bring the one-year-old to a movie theater. So there's movies that I want to see that I can't necessarily see without shelling out cash for a babysitter and shelling out cash for the actual movie and food and stuff like that. It's an expensive experience for somebody like me to go to a movie with my wife. And, you know, and the other option is to leave her at home with the kids and go see the movie. And you don't like seeing movies by yourself necessarily, okay? You don't really want to go to the movies by yourself. So it's an expensive proposition. So you telling me I can watch a movie at home on my amazing flat screen TV and just enjoy it that way? I have absolutely no problem with that. And, you know, I can pause it whenever I need to. I can have my kids watch the movie with me, and if they're allowed, it won't matter because it's just it's just me that is is inconvenienced by that. That also kind of removes the whole all the things you don't like about the movie theater going experience. You know, the rude people in the theater that are either on their phone or they they won't shut up, they don't just won't stop talking. This removes all of those things that you don't like. Plus, it's your house. You know how clean or not clean it is, and you know who made said mess, okay? There is, especially right now, there is a lot of comfort in knowing that, okay? So that is that, to me, is a big part of this whole thing. Plus, let's not forget that, you know, then the argument is, well, how's Warner Brothers going to make money? This is going to be a huge boost, for HBO Max, because the argument for the whole Wonder Woman 1984 thing was, okay, so you'll get people to sign up for HBO Max to see Wonder Woman, and then they're going to cancel it. Well, guess what? Now you're giving people a reason to keep HBO Max, because what's going to happen is, at least in my opinion, is that people are going to get HBO Max to see Wonder Woman, 
and they're not going to cancel it and then resubscribe in in another month when another movie comes out because you've still got don't forget along with these 17 movies you've still got the Snyder cut that's going to be coming out supposedly earlier in 2021 than expected so you've still got the Snyder cut and other things that we don't even know about yet movie wise that are going to be coming to HBO Max and series too by the way so it's not like HBO Max is all about these what would have been theatrical release only movies right now being dual release it's also about everything else that you're getting so all of a sudden HBO Max becomes this huge haven for major releases and then everything else that's also pretty darn good by the way because HBO Max had a pretty good track record for their originals so far that ends up being the cherry on the Sunday so when the cherry is the thing that would have normally been the thing that would make you subscribe now you're already subscribed and you get to enjoy this stuff as well so this is going to be a huge lift for HBO Max I think that's going to make Warner Brothers a ton of money and it's going to give them a way to you know shove a whole bunch of stats out there and say look at all the millions of subscribers that we have now we'll know why they have those but does that even matter does knowing why they have them even matter I think that it's going to matter to people that they have them and numbers bring attention too. by the way if you have a ton of subscribers it's going to make somebody that's not necessarily pay attention go oh well if, if that many people are subscribing to the service maybe I'll give it a shot and then you at least get a month out of those people right so I think that you're going to see and it also gives Warner Media a great way to gauge which movies are successful and which ones aren't because you are going to see people who there's going to be people that just want to see Godzilla versus Kong right so they'll subscribe to HBO Max for that month get watch that movie and then they will just drop off and that's just going to happen you are still going to get those people but you're also going to get to see okay well how much does it drop off because the the numbers will tell you how successful a movie is going to be retention will also tell you that as well so what this does is this gives Warner Media and a wealth of information about how their property properties are doing and which ones should continue and which ones aren't so this to me is a huge win for Warner Brothers not so much for the movie theater companies the larger chains AMC has already come come out and spoken out against this shocking that they would do that note my sarcasm there so I mean I'm certainly not going to knock the movie theater chance for being upset and again I never want to see anybody lose their job but at the same time you had to kind of see this coming I think that this is definitely the wave of the future for how we're going to consume movies and what that means for budgets and stuff like that remains to be seen in the future but I got to tell you I think that this is a big major move by Warner Brothers and we'll have to see if this ends up starting a trend I'm not sure that it will right away I think a lot of studios are gonna wait to see how successful this is but you know we'll wait and see how this ends up shaking out and we'll wait and see if this actually ends up being temporary or a permanent thing Warner Brothers wasn't done making headlines though before that the big news of the week was that David Ramsey who we know is playing John Diggle on Arrow for all those years is going to be returning to the Arrowverse according to Deadline here's the deal you know that Diggle moved to Metropolis right we've known that for a while now but it looks like we'll see David Ramsey both in front of the camera and behind 
the camera. He's actually going to direct episodes of Superman and Lois and Supergirl in this upcoming season. We'll also see John Diggle return in The Flash, Batwoman, and a mystery role in DC's Legends of Tomorrow. So that begs the question. We saw Diggle get his Green Lantern ring. Will we finally see Diggle as the Green Lantern in DC's Legends of Tomorrow? I think that that's... It, it's, that almost seems too easy because you say mystery role and you get everybody thinking that that's going to be the thing and then maybe it's not going to be the thing. So I, I, I would love that, though. You want to give me Green Lantern Diggle? Please do. I will take that all day. I'm not at all going to be upset if that's the surprise that they're, that they're handing us and they're just trying to be coy about it. This also reeks of crossover to me, doesn't it? I know that they said they were going to have a scaled-down crossover this season, not necessarily because of the pandemic, but because, I mean, you know, how do you follow up, follow up Crisis on Infinite Earths? You don't, right? So this, this will be a more scaled-down crossover. So this feels to me like, like the architect of the crossover almost is going to be David Ramsey this time around. Obviously, Greg Berlanti and company are, are going to be largely involved in creating that. But at the same time, now you've got your central figure, and it appears to be John Diggle. And again, this is speculation as far as I'm concerned at this point. But it just feels like this has crossover written all over it. And I'm sure DC, it'd be cool to see DC Stargirl worked in there as well at some point. I, th- I think I saw a report of him being mentioned for that as well. So I'm very excited to see David Rams. He's a good dude. He, he loves playing John Diggle. He loves being a part of this universe for DC. And, and I just really can't wait to see John Diggle come back. So, I mean, we didn't have to wait too long to get Diggle back into the Arrowverse again. And it'll always be the Arrowverse to me. You can call it the Berlanti-verse or the CW-verse all you want. It'll always be the Arrowverse to me, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Since it was a bit of a slow news week, I decided to talk about a couple of things that seem to be hot-button topics on social media right now. And I want to start with Star Wars. And if you're not up to date on The Mandalorian, not this week's episode, but at least from last week's, I'm just going to give you the spoiler warning right now. So, you know, the Ahsoka Tano, that's part of what I want to talk about. And also, you know, the, the Baby Yoda has a name. It's Grogu, right? And whether you like the name or not, tough. I like the name. Still be Baby Yoda, of course. But, we, you know, we get to finally get the backstory on what happened with Grogu. And obviously Ahsoka Tano decided not to train him. Because he's too attached to the Mandalorian. He too, too, too attached. And she said, I've seen what that does to a fully trained Jedi. Gee, I wonder who she, she could be talking about. But here's the thing. So now the Mandalorian is tasked to bring Grogu to an abandoned Jedi temple. And he gets to choose his own path. And a, and a Jedi, if a Jedi wants to train him and find him, then he can. So now fans are saying, well... Luke Skywalker's an option, and Luke Skywalker is an option. And they're saying, well, what if Sebastian Stan plays this younger Luke Skywalker? Obviously, we know Mark Hamill's done with the role. At least I think he's come out and said that, you know, he's done. And and I don't see, you know, 
Mark Hamill wanting to come back to the role, quite frankly. I mean, after the way things ended in this latest trilogy, I don't know that she can rewind that and go back. I mean, he wasn't even the voice of Luke Skywalker in the Lego Star Wars holiday special on Disney+. Plus. So, you know, let's keep that in mind. And while I do think that, you know, Sebastian Stan looks the part, and Sebastian Stan is certainly an accomplished actor, and I think that Sebastian Stan could do a good job as Luke Skywalker, it just wouldn't feel right to me. It just, there's just certain characters that you just don't mess with over time, right? And I think that Luke Skywalker is one of them. Yes, I know we had a younger Han Solo in the Solo movie, and whether or not you like the Solo movie, that let's not get into that. So it wouldn't be the first time that a character like that has been recast younger, but at the same time, we've already seen a younger Luke Skywalker, right? We've seen that already. This would be after Return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker. So it would almost be like, I don't know what, middle-aged Skywalker, not quite middle-aged Skywalker, that would choose to train or not train Grogu. And based on the backstory that we were given in this latest movie trilogy, is that even really a realistic option? Either And first of all, I don't think it's going to be Luke Skywalker. If they go that route, it's not going to be Luke anyway. So this is kind of, I think, a moot point. But but to me, again, I don't know why. Fans love Sebastian Stan, and I get that. I, I like him too. I just said that. But at the same time, this there certain things should just be sacred, and I think that this is one of them. I don't think that you can go back and cast another Luke Skywalker. I just don't think you can do that. So I, I would leave this one alone. I, I do think that they'll bring a Jedi in at some point. Don't really want to speculate as to who it might be, but I do think it'll happen at some point. And, and you know, I, I think that the Mandalorian's been so good this season anyway. And I know I, know I haven't talked about it much, here on the show because, you know, our episodes come out on Friday. The episodes of The Mandalorian come out on Friday. I can't necessarily share the the latest episode information with you, so it's old news by the time we get to talk about it. We're talking about the, we'll be talking about the finale when that happens. I don't care how old it is, so get ready for that. But th- that's something that I haven't really done because I don't want it to be old news for you guys. But I've really been enjoying this season of the Mandalorian, and and I've realized how how not ready I am for that goodbye after this past episode. I, I'm not ready for that goodbye with the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda yet. I'm just not ready for it. I was I was getting choked up, and I didn't even, and I knew it wasn't even really going to happen, but I was already getting choked up. It was pretty crazy. So Sebastian Stan as Luke Skywalker, I wouldn't be furious about it, but at the same time, I do think I would be a little bit disappointed. I wouldn't even I I just wouldn't go there. Here's something else I wouldn't do, and I understand why everybody wants this back, okay? The Daredevil rights have finally reverted back to Marvel, and that is the the, the moratorium on Netflix is, is finally up, and Marvel Studios now has the rights to the Daredevil series back. So, save Daredevil is getting ramped up again, and people want it brought back on Hulu or Disney Plus or however Disney wants to revive it. Now, keep in mind. It's been a li- it's been a while since we've seen the last season of Daredevil. And I want you to rewind 
and think about how that ended. And I'm not going to get into all the details of how it ended, but think about how it ended. Really, if you want to be technical about it, yes, you could continue it, but it was also a good stopping point for me, right? They actually got to a point where it had a satisfactory ending, whether you like to admit it or not. If that's where it was going to end, you can be satisfied with that. And that's not something that you necessarily get in television very often, whether it be streaming or not, okay? And when something gets revived by another network, and I understand Marvel Studios' track record, okay? I get it. But when something gets revived like this, it doesn't always work out the way you want it to. As a matter of fact, I think you can count on one hand the number of times that that's actually worked out, okay? So this is kind of a be careful what you wish for, type of thing for me because also Marvel Studios isn't necessarily known for their R-rated content. Okay? And you know, stuff that's gone on Disney Plus has been more excuse me, that's gone on Hulu has definitely been more mature in nature, but this is something that you're not going to get the same experience for Daredevil that you did on Netflix. I think that that's something you need to come to terms with. I don't think it would be the same show. I don't think it would be as rough and as raw as it was on Netflix. And those are two very complimentary terms in this case, by the way. I think that the presentation would be completely different. I think you'd have to get the creative band back together in order for this to actually work. I think that you'd have to make sure you could get everybody signed back on to this thing for it to work as well. Because one of the things you loved about Daredevil wasn't necessarily just how the show was written and presented but it was because you fell in love with that cast just like I did, okay? So if you can't get at least part of the cast back, then why are you doing this sort of thing, right? It, because if it feels like a cash grab, that's going to be picked up on by fans. Now, could you have Charlie Cox as Daredevil in something else now that you have the rights? Sure, I guess you could do that, but again... What What is a satisfactory revival for you when it comes to Save Daredevil? Because you could save Daredevil, but I'm telling you it won't be the same. And you either have to be okay with that or you don't. I think what we'd end up getting is a dialed down version of what we saw on Netflix. And I'm not sure that that's something that I need. I'm very happy with what we got from Daredevil. I didn't want it to end when it did either, okay? I did not want it to end, but I still feel like we got a satisfactory ending. And I'm not sure that one more season, two more seasons, whatever will make me happy. There's a lot of Daredevil story that could still be told. I'm not arguing that point. What I'm saying is is that when you even with Marvel Studios having a the good reputation that they do, they're not known for their mature content, and I'm not sure. It just doesn't feel like it would be the same to me. I'm not sure that that's worth doing if that's the case. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Bruno Heller for joining me to talk about Pennyworth, which you can see Season 2, Sunday, December the 13th on Epics. Also, make sure you check out this week's sponsor, Shudder. You want to get your scare on for the holidays, go to Shudder.com 
and enter promo code DNPOD to get that 30 days absolutely free. Find out more about us too, by the way, at downandnerdypodcast.com, also on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember this, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.